hey, 25,000 if you want to get this master's from the University of Illinois. And University of Illinois is a great school. Like it's, it's one of the best schools out there when you get into artificial intelligence in that stage. But I have a, I have a challenge to say, like if I could take most of the same courses and those courses I can audit for free, right? I can audit these courses on these platforms for free. And I have my work to show afterwards. How much difference is it going to make? Now, if, if my employer is paying for it and that's a different capacity and it helps create some motivation, but just, you know, write a big check to have a degree. I'm more and more challenged of like, where's the value? Show me how this is going to be better than that. Welcome to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast, where Justin Grammons and the team at Emerging Technologies North talk with experts in the fields of artificial intelligence and deep learning. In each episode, we cut through the hype and dive into how these technologies are being applied to real-world problems today. We hope that you find this episode educational and applicable to your industry and connect with us to learn more about our organization at AppliedAI.mn. Enjoy! Welcome to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast. Today we have Dave Mathias. As you might recall, Dave was a guest back on episode 6 where we talked about data coaching and artificial general intelligence. Dave is a principal and founder at Beyond the Data and the Go Beyond the Data podcast, where he talks with experts across the world about leveraging human-centered and data-driven thinking. He's also passionate about education. The following audio are excerpts not published from the last interview, and one in which we discuss the wide array of online courses available to those eager to begin an exciting career in artificial intelligence and deep learning. There are so many courses available to those who are interested, and I hope that you as a listener are able to tap into many of the resources we discuss during this episode. So without further introduction, we'll start the interview here. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Good, good. <laughs> Just trying to think where we want to start the conversation. I mean, in your career, you know, you, I know you've been getting a lot in education and artificial intelligence. Curious to hear some more thoughts that you have around that, those concepts. Yeah. I, well, the good thing is, is there's so much stuff out there, right? So many people have done different uh, things, whether it's it's under branded content, like under university banners, and they're putting it now on Coursera or edX. Um, there's a lot of great stuff out on those types of platforms versus Udacity's or Udemy's or all these things. So one person that I'm really excited about is Jeremy Howard and what he's doing with Fast.ai. Mm -hmm. And so if you just go to the website Fast. AI, you're going to find a lot of great content out there. And there's content around like straight machine learning, learning the traditional, you know, random forest and other things that you might, you know, utilize. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also all the sort of the deep learning type of stuff, you know, uh, vision, um, audio translation, all that kind of stuff. And on that, he's sort of done a couple of things. One is the, the lessons that he's put up there for free. So mm -hmm. the video lectures and, and experiments, and he's made his Jupyter notebooks available and all that kind of stuff. Right. So you, you can go through all the learning yourself. Um, in fact, uh, I don't know if you know who Sam Charrington is with Twimmel. No. This week in machine learning and artificial intelligence. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Okay, I yeah, yeah. subscribe to that. I get that. Yeah, I just the name yeah. didn't, didn't click. So Sam, Sam has a Slack group out there too. He's out of St. Louis, actually. Sam is, and and as part of that, they've actually done a couple of different go through fast AI with a cohort. Yep. It's always good, better to learn like this together. So so my suggestion is like if you're if you're looking to do this fast AI, certainly you can do it together. Do it alone and or just do it with a friend, but, you know, maybe uh, see if there's a cohort out there that you want to just do it along together and you can, you can better learn together yeah. more than of course, just by yourself. So something just recommending to folks, whether you're in a company and you, a few of you want to go through it, or you want to have some friends, things like that, or check out if, if Twimmel on, uh, is, is doing anything 
like that recently. Maybe Applied AI might want to do something like that. Some oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And in fact, I, um, there is actually a, a, a deep learning uh, group here in town that Yaniv Benami has been running and they meet every Sunday. I'll, I'll put a link to his meetup group mm -hmm. here as well. Nice. But these open source things, I mean, yeah, you're right. There's just, there's so much out there. It's always better to, to learn off each other, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you can get stuck. Uh, many times you get stuck. Uh, and whether it's an online forum or whether it's a Slack channel or the Applied AI Meetup group, right? you know, mm -hmm. all that type of stuff, those are great, great resources to reach out to. How does Fast AI then make any money or doesn't it? Is he just sort of doing this? Yeah, so he's sort of created a fund. They're actually a, a research firm too. He's done a couple of startups. I think he's done very well, um, let's just say, from, from all appearances. And so I think part of this is really giving back things, but I think they get funded uh, to do, they actually do, cutting edge uh, research in artificial intelligence. And so mm -hmm. they're they're getting paid in that at capacity somewhat, but the, the education part is completely free. And, and why you put fast AI, because in addition to the education, there is the abstraction component where you can use it like Keras. They have their fast AI that sits on top of it where it's, it's you know, if you're basic programming skills, you'll be able to quickly get up to speed and put these models into practice and you're not. Uh, certainly hyperparameter tuning is always, uh, especially when, you, when you're getting to deep learning, hyperparameter tuning can be that frustrating part. Um, mm. They've created fast AI in the sense of, okay, trying to minimize the amount of um, tuning that you need to do, but yeah. still getting very good results. So so definitely recommend folks to take a look at there. But then there's always, of course, like, like on Coursera and, and certainly um, I think it's deeplearning.ai that Andrew Ng now is going under, right? So yep, he has yep. his coursework then. It's also available in Coursera and is AI for everyone. That's sort of the every person, artificial intelligence training, everybody should, like, if you're in business, if you're anywhere in your career, that's something you should take. It's not that long to go through. And I do think it gets people up to that basic level of competence so that they can at least have those conversations. Uh, but then, of course, if, uh, you know, there's artificial intelligence and there's typical, you know, okay, do you want to just get better at certain business intelligence and those types of components? And and there's a whole gamut of analytics learning that's out there, no matter how technical or business side focus that you want to get. Some that I'm actually a big fan of also on Coursera is, is through University of Michigan's courses. Okay. And they have some good courses around pandas and even some good, they have a really good Python course for somebody that's not has any experience in Python. So if you want to get the basic programming capacities and then you take the data science courses uh, through University of Michigan on, on Coursera has been a, I think a good one too. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It seems like it seems like lots of universities have gone online. You know, whether it be mm -hmm. Stanford or I saw University of Arizona. I've seen you know MIT. There's there's all these sort of yeah. um, classes now because they can offer them online. Uh, these these platforms. The, the tough thing is, you know, I think the Stanford class was like twelve grand or something like that, right? And it's just like the the prices can be high. I guess at the end of the day, my thinking is is at least you get some sort of certification or something like what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, so fast.ai, I go through this stuff, you know, maybe I'll have a repo, a GitHub repo at the end. I'll have learned a bunch of stuff, but like, I don't really earn, earn a certificate per se, do I? And maybe do I, do I need to? Yeah. That's the question is, do you need to, right? So like the, the benefit of, of being a, in coding, if you're, you're ever in that, like, obviously you've been in that space for a long time through the mobile world and now into the artificial intelligence, IOT, you've done it at all. And the nice thing is you get to show your work. I mean, it's like certain fields, you get to show your work. And I think having projects, being able to show your code, I think that matters uh, so much more than any certificates and, and, 
you know, I'm not like certainly Peter Thiel is not always the, be the, the best example of, of, of folks in some capacities, but at the same time, you know, one of the things he's doing is like, hey, challenge the assumption that people need to be going through these expensive uh, educational platforms to get a certificate that at the long run, honestly, five years from now, 10 years from now, how different, how much meaning will a lot of this, this technology is going to be different. Now, certainly uh, a lot of fundamentals that you're going to learn at any school is like you're learning to learn hopefully more than anything, which I sometimes hate that statement because I, I think we should just be what, curious people that are constantly take advantage of, of all this, this learning that's out there. So it's, it's interesting, like over the years, I've taken Coursera courses since it came out, I don't know how many years ago now. While I have multiple graduate degrees and I feel like none of these things are, are things that like a client's going to hire me because I've taken, I do feel like I need to constantly be learning both from a self-satisfaction standpoint, but also because I don't want to be a dinosaur, right? Like, and in this field, you can quickly become a dinosaur without trying. Uh, my my uncle, he used to work in the mainframe business, right? So he, he got his master's in mathematics. And right when he was coming out, I believe in the 70s uh, is when he was start, he came out of uh, grad school and then got into mainframes. Like they, they didn't have computer science generally in most universities at that point. And so he was doing, uh, got into mainframe programming and was able to do it his whole career, luckily. But that doesn't happen nowadays, right? Nowadays, it's not whatever you learn in college or right after came into your first job, it's gonna be so different down the road. So yeah. I, I'm very challenged. Like, And I see that a lot with, of course, there are other platforms where they're trying to charge still like, hey, 25,000 if you wanna get this master's from the University of Illinois. And University of Illinois is a great school. Like it's, it's one of the best schools out there when you get into artificial intelligence in, in that stage. But I have, a, I have a challenge to say, like if I could take most of the same courses and those courses I can audit for free, right? I can audit these courses on these platforms for free. And I have my work to show afterwards. How much difference is it going to make? Now, if, if my employer is paying for it and that's a different capacity and it helps motivation, but just to, you know, write a big check to have a degree, I, I, I'm more and more challenged of like, where's the value? Show me, show me how this is going to be better than that. Good point. I mean, there's also certifications you can get. I'm just thinking back, like with regards to tool sets, right? So you can get certified in um, Azure's, you know, stack. You can get certified in Google's. You can get certified in TensorFlow. You can, mm -hmm. you know, PyTorch. I'm sure there's there's all these things you can just kind of get very very focused on. And I guess the question is, is you know, do you think it's valuable to maybe start there and really go deep on a specific skill set, for example, because that mm -hmm. that is marketable in a lot of ways. You know, when you get done with that, you can literally search through job descriptions that say we need yeah. these skills and you can say, aha, you know, <laughs> I satisfy these these bullet points. And I guess it could be argued, well, if I went to a four year college and, and I did this and that stuff, I probably would would span a number of different things. But you're right. Coming out of school, sometimes you mm -hmm. don't actually get that deep on on various things. Is that a problem? Because um, me as an employer, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, but me as an employer, you know, mm -hmm. I am looking for those hard skills. And so, you know, is there, is our college system failing us in some ways with what they're teaching? Yeah. I mean, this is interesting. So I'm working with one of the universities right now in their master's program as we're, we're updating a component of it. And one of it is, is trying to build in, um, we're trying to have the soft skills along with the technical skills in this, this update, because there's, there's a need for, for both, as we know, like some people are going to have stronger in one or the other, but there's also some of those technical skills, those main brand things that, you know, in the job descriptions, people want to see, like, you have experience with this and can you check the box? Can you have somebody 
go into an interview and at least have a good conversation and at least have a starting point and some demonstrable work in that space. Mm -hmm. And I'm by no means an expert in if I have a certification in X, my monetary value is Y in this marketplace. Because for one is, I think that that is a constantly changing thing. But I do think there's there's obviously, I would talk to somebody that, that has in your marketplace, whoever's listening, you know, somebody that has experience in those recruiting segments of, you know, what does this type of certification resonate with in your area? Is it worth it? Uh, I, I do think those certainly like a PMP, for example, with the project management, that certainly has a monetary value. On the other hand, like uh, one of the spaces I've been in is product management, um, has less known monetary value. Now, some people will value it, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't. it's not so ubiquitous across the industry. So, you know, whether a skill is ubiquitous or not, but certainly like Tableau certification mm-hmm. is, is sure. valuable in that, that space. But again, I would stress to anyone, don't get too far down a rabbit hole because technologies change, things change. And so at least place a few different bets as opposed to just placing one bet if you're if you're going down that. And of course there's like Tableau and Alteryx and, and you know, of course SQL. Like if you yeah. have a few of those things, like that's probably enough bets to place. And if one of them goes away, you you put another bet on something else where you pick up something else. I think we're telling people to be lifelong learners, but I don't think our society or educational system really wasn't developed to be lifelong learning, it was okay, you go through high school and then now we're saying you can't just go get a job now, now you need to go through college, your four years. And and now we're even saying oftentimes now you need to go through masters and oftentimes masters people, they're, they're going right after school or shortly after undergrad. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think we need to adjust that some. There's a recognition that that needs to be adjusted some. At the same time, we have a big, big business around the existing structure. So, so I'd love to see more boot camp places more here, like I'm leveraging these couple of skills and now I get to go to a, a job place. I was just uh, doing a, a, like an ask me anything. I was the, the person they had for this, uh-huh. but it's basically like a, like an analytics type boot camp, uh, more towards data analysts, data engineers, that kind of group, mm-hmm. the Dallas, Texas areas where the, the school is located. And so I was, I was doing that there, but they, they do a lot around the other the soft skills but they also are like hey here's the x amount of technical skills that you need to know these things their programs designed to get people internships right away Mm. i think it's six months in total and i know there's a lot of these different boot camps that are popped up around the country and i'd like to see more just to challenge the existing education system four-year degrees make sense for certainly a lot of things but i think we need to be just more open of when does such a thing make sense or when is it like this is constantly changing so maybe six months and then you go out and you're doing this for a couple years and maybe you go back for another few months for something else to add on you know thinking of that mentality that's great i mean i i've done a four-year degree i've done a master's but i also did a certificate program at the university through the university of minnesota and this would have been oh man probably getting into the late 90s probably 97 98 time frame Mm -hmm. and yeah it was all about linux uh, c c plus plus basically devops before it was called devops and you know the university was running this out of a essentially a training center in edina and so i just went there for like a quote-unquote boot camp and now (laughs) I'm, i'm showing my age but that was like 20 you know 23 years ago now you know now there's new there's new names there's new technology there's new ways to do it but at the end of the day yeah i mean i learned a lot of stuff in a very very short amount of time um, and I paid for it out of my own pocket because I knew that learning VI, quite frankly, has been something that has changed my career. 
right? I can log in any Unix system and use and use Vim BI, mm -hmm. and I've it's a thing that I use to this day. Nice. <laughs> and it's a little skill that I learned, uh, and I know a lot of people that don't know how to use it, and they're you know kind of like I'm like just learn it. It's just <laughs> like for for me, it's also like like Java. Like thank goodness I learned Java back 23 years ago as well, because it was just like, it's completely changed my trajectory. But again, it was one of these things where, yeah, I didn't learn that in school. Back then, they weren't really teaching Java. And so decided to take it upon myself to learn it. The lifelong learning thing is interesting too, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of people have the mindset, you know, and I would say me in, included, I guess, you know, outside of the certificate program and stuff like that, that I get done with school, I look back, I'm like, I'm done taking tests, and I just kind of walk away, right? There's just this sort of closure where you're like, I finished whatever degree I did, and the book is closed. And for me, I, I, I realize that I'm learning a lot, of course, during my career, but then there's also just focus learning, you know, there's actually taking time aside every week, you know, and I'm really trying to put that on my calendar, where it's just like, okay, during these chunks of time here, I'm I'm literally going to block out everything and just use this as ongoing education time. So mm -hmm. not sure if, if you take that tact or you know of anybody to take that tact, but I think for me, make a concerted effort to put it on your calendar. Otherwise it just won't get done. Yeah, I think both. Uh, and I think putting time on your calendar for investing in yourself. And I think, that, you know, part of that is, is maybe it's it's time for your online learning, but it could also be on just other hobbies that you want to develop. So thinking about like, how can you invest in yourself, both from a creative side, from a you know professional side, and constantly leveling up yourself. I, I think the other thing that people do well, and maybe putting a little more time, is just time to think, mm -hmm. right? So I think oftentimes we're we're just so we have so many emails and meetings and other things that we're trying to deal with. So what is that time that we're spending really thinking and just saying, do I have time marked off to think? I have these problems, these things I need to get to process. Dedicating time to that too is another thing. I read a book recently. It's called The 5 a.m. Club. Oh, nice. um, it's by a guy named Robin Sharma, but it talks about taking an hour for yourself. And his his whole thing is do it at 5 a.m. Actually get up early and sort of dedicate that time to exercise, to to think, to journal and to learn. Nice. I started reading it in the fall. It was a you know an audio book and it's it's completely uh, changed the way that I sort of view my days, actually. I think going into your days when you've planned and prepared rather than waking up and jumping right into it has been kind of a life changer in some ways. So I'll probably in include his book in the liner notes. Fun, funny that we talked about that, but everyone's got their own systems. Everyone's got their own ways in which they do it. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that has occurred to me recently too is, is like every day I try and do three things. What can I, or think about, what can I do for myself? What can I do for my business or my employer, I guess? And then what can I do for my community? And so, so for me, as long as I can sit back at the end of the day, by the time I'm going to sleep and I can pick out just one thing, you know, mm -hmm. what, where, where was an obstacle? What did I, where did I move the ball forward in, in each one of those three areas? I feel like I've accomplished something and I feel like I'm going to do something then, then plan out what you can do for the next day. But those sort of three pieces of the pie is, is what I've sort of viewed as uh, something important for me. Yeah, that's great. And I always say with any of these systems, it's like whatever works for you. And if it's like, hey, that hour or two hours or whatever you want to spend is like late at night, or I think, I think you know, putting that time aside and like, how do you want to look at it as like, what am I doing this week uh, versus what am I doing today? So figure out a system that works for you and uh, just stick to it. So bring it back to education. You and I were talking before this, you talked about a flipped model. Yes. And I've, 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 I've heard of that. Could you define that a little bit? Yeah, so the idea of a flipped classroom is is getting more and more popular, although still a lot, most universities are not accepting of it. 
typically you go to a class, uh, you are sitting there, it's a one-to-many situation, you have a lecturer, the instructor that's lecturing to the class, right? The idea with a flipped classroom model is, okay, consume your videos or other type of lecture, one-to-many content offline, like not in person. And then when you're in class, it's whatever activities or uh, projects or things like that are being done there. Right. Because it, cause like we can all just like watch a YouTube video of some instructor at a board uh, talking, you know, pontificating mm-hmm. and get as much, right? Like, and I think this is one of the things that I'm a big believer in is some people are better consuming things in an audio format. Some people are better at like, they love the visual, the video type aspect. Some people like to just read information. So giving people a choice of different ways to consume the same type of content and it more easily resonates with them. And again, they'll be more likely to do it. They'll enjoy it more when they're doing it. They'll remember it better. They'll, they'll act upon it better. So again, like thinking about how educational institutions can, can realize, hey, it's not one size fits all. Your students are your customers. Mm-hmm. And so how do you create an environment that's good for your customers? And then, hey, you know, if you're going to be charging so much for tuition, when they're coming to class, like, let, let's, let's, you know, get some engagement and what's that activity. And, and then the nice thing about the flipped classroom model is it's much easier to also then convert that into an online entire uh, type of module. Because then you're thinking of just like, like right now, when we're doing the, uh, doing this with this university, we're, we're doing it in both capacities of an in-person uh, perspective and an online perspective for the same learning. And so right right away, we're like, okay, how can we still bring value offline or like the online for, format and the online where they can both both benefit from the, the different perspectives, but they're both in the same cohort type model or where everyone's going through the same class at the same time, uh, whether it's online or whether it's offline. Yeah. I think it'd be better for more universities. Yeah. And partly it's like, let's be honest, like most instructors are so used to standing up in front of a classroom and getting on a board and writing down things or, you know, that kind of thing. So, so it's, it's, it's adjusting what people are used to doing is tough. Yeah. Well, and not even in college, I, I had actually heard uh, a school in Washington DC did this where they completely flipped the model mm-hmm. and, you know, typically you give students homework and they're sitting there doing their homework on their own. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea was, was like, give them the lecture while they're outside of the classroom. And then when they're in the classroom, it's you do your homework. Yeah. And then you can, you can collaborate with each other. And I remember listening to that. And I'm like, that's just, that's brilliant. You know, why, why are more, even high schools not even doing this? Yeah. I think everyone should. Cause I mean, one is like, then like you have the benefit of engagement, like, Hey, people are there together. And one of it's like certain programs, like MBA programs are really good at like team-based learning, right? Like that's a big focus, but I think probably is maybe our society is, is we're very like, Hey, how, how is Justin? Like, we need to, we need to grade you individually. Well, I think in general, in, in this world, more and more, we need to be graded as like, how do we perform in teams? How do we as a team succeed or, or fail. Yeah. And I think that'd be a better mentality for us generally, as opposed to grading so much individually. But again, you know, these things are tough to change, especially inertia is a tough thing to change, right? So. Well, we've done education, you know, in the country here for hundreds of years now, but you know, it starts small. Uh, I have a friend teaches a, a course out in the Cleveland area and uh, his whole thing is, is it's not really even in the classroom. Nice. They actually go to industry. They'll go to the Cleveland Indians and talk to them uh, about statistics and baseball. 
they'll go to a Goodyear tire and they'll actually meet with people from Goodyear in Goodyear facility to basically talk about what's the future of autonomous vehicles and autonomous travel, because that's what Goodyear is thinking about. So the students are actually going out into the field, meeting with these people that are doing some very interesting things around technology and emerging trends, and they're getting themselves sort of immersed in it. And uh, yeah, they wouldn't learn that if they were just sitting in a classroom reading about it. So I, I, I really love what he's doing there. And in some ways, yeah, I want to try and build a similar class here in like the Twin Cities, but it's, uh, it definitely makes for a completely different learning experience. You know, certain things are going to resonate more with others. I, I do remember even when I was in high school, in my chemistry uh, course, we went to a lot of different settings in the community, like a, a Duracell factory. And, you know, you'd see that in person. And actually here in the Twin Cities, I remember when you and I, you had organized a trip around different IoT stuff around the silicon wafer stuff. And like, I think there's a lot, like when you start like physically touching things and talking to people and you start picturing things in a, in a different light. So I think, you know, whether you're a kid or you're an adult, you know, in the field sort of experience makes a lot sense. Yeah, that was that. We just kind of built this Twin Cities manufacturing tour, I think yes. is what it was, right? We rented a van and it's like a dozen of us hopped in there and we drove all around yes. to various places that were doing, you know, some of them had molds that they were doing, but the other ones were basically manufacturing PCBs. And mm -hmm. it's funny. It's yeah, man, that, that goes back quite quite some time because you you never hear of these places right and then all of a sudden there's there's a warehouse or something and you actually get a chance to go inside and you're like wow this is what's going on inside here these guys are these guys are cranking out circuit boards yeah, you yeah. know people actually are making stuff here and, and which we don't realize all the things that are really being done but i think then as a, whether you're you're a kid or whether you're an adult then you can put yourself into which things do you really resonate with and i think some people uh feel like that discounts the education like the instructor is doing less work if they're not doing the instruction as much, but I think no, like curating good content, whether it's good content that you're putting in front of people digitally, or whether it's it's good content, bring people into a live setting or tours or things like that, that that I think is a better, more important thing. And then, then how do you also then apply that learning as the other component that I think uh, good instructors can do a, a much better job of and, and, and focus less on the more traditional, like I need to be in front of a board and, and do this. Like, how can I get good content, get my students a lot of experiences that they're going to be able to picture uh, themselves in that? And then also, how do they actually apply these some of these things? Yeah, what, what, what's your thoughts on, on like internships? You know, have you you've been exposed to those? Have you had interns at your company? Have you trained students that have gone out and done internships? What what what, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's a challenge because internships vary so much, right? And and I've had internships when I've been with interns when I've been with big companies. I did one internship a long time ago myself, uh, but it's been like once when I was in school, right? Mm -hmm. But when I think of internships, I think. In general, most internships, and I think it's somewhat on, on job cycle where it's like, are you trying to wine and dine the, the person to get them to say yes and make sure you're it's, it's a good fit, so to speak, mm -hmm. versus yeah. are you trying to really give them a good experience and a learning experience, but also something that's going to do real work for the company. So Minnesota Deed, right? Um, mm -hmm. The economic development here in Minnesota, they have this program, uh, the dual apprentice program, right? So it's the idea is basically applied learning where there's there's grants and funding that's available for this. But the idea is companies would, would you know, be able to get educational resources, but it would be applied in the real job setting. So I think more of that apprentice model where it's really like an apprenticeship mm -hmm. as opposed to, I feel like most internships 
are not really apprenticeships and they are not a realistic view of, of things and give people a fair perspective of things, mm-hmm. which I don't think is helpful to anyone. I do see more people trying to emulate, like even that that uh, that boot camp uh, down in Dallas. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. They're trying to do a real apprenticeship type model. There's a couple of those boot camps where I think there's no cost for the boot camps to attend. I think there's one out of New York and somewhere else. Uh, where there's no cost to attend, but as part of it, basically, then they're gonna be selling your time, your because you're gonna learn some skills, and then you're they're gonna like get some some work, and they're basically gonna be selling your time and getting the money for selling your time during the program. Oh, sure. So sort of a different the sort of model to say instead of having to pay for the program, the fifteen thousand or whatever that type of boot camp might be, you're not gonna have to pay that, but you're gonna be basically paying with your applied learning. Yeah, sure. Sure. Have you, are you familiar with the SciTech experience here in the Twin Cities? I don't know if I am. It's a similar program as the DEED from what I know. Um, and we've participated in that at Lab 651 for the past couple of summers. Um, and what it basically does is it gives you, I think, up to $5,000 to the employer to basically, you know, you pay the student, mm-hmm. um, but then you end up getting it's either $2,500 or $5,000, I can't remember exactly, that you can essentially get as a grant to then help pay for the students. So it's really, it's a no-brainer, number one. And then also it's focused a lot on science and technology, right? So a lot of these a lot of these are our STEM students or they're in the STEM field and there's no cost to the student, really. They, they literally just have to make sure that they put their resume through the SciTech Experience website. And then me as an employer, I can hire them. And then once at the end of the summer, I can basically go to SciTech and say, look, here's everything I paid the student and they will reimburse me for it. So really awesome program and uh, highly recommend it. But yeah, I mean, any way you can sort of lower that that barrier or that that bar to have an employer be able to take on uh, an intern because, you know, in some ways it's, uh, it can be a little bit of a distraction, I guess. Mm -hmm. It depends on your company and your business model. You know, I, I have a tough time being able to sort of bill these students out to a client mm-hmm. because they're still sort of learning, you know, and so customers come to us because we're the experts, but it's all factored into our business model. And I love having students there. I, I never had a chance to be an intern anywhere. I got done with school with a math and physics degree and I'm like, what does a person do? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, I didn't really know what the landscape was. I didn't get a chance to go out and be an actuary, uh, for example, or, you know, you know, teach or whatever it is, what I was going to do after my school. And I ended up loving computers anyways, along the way, even though I didn't really get a computer science degree. And that's how I ended up, you know, falling into my career. But I think a lot of people, it would do them well to uh, see what the world's like before they spend four, five, six, you know, seven years, whatever it is <laughs> in, in school and, you know, $100,000 in debt or whatever it is to then finally realize, hey, this, is, this isn't for me. So, mm-hmm earlier you can get students out to experience what it's like. I'm all for that for sure. Yeah. And I, I know like engineering programs generally are very good at that at most of the universities that I've known with big engineering programs where they're like, whether it's mechanical, electrical, you know, those type of programs uh, where they're, they've built up such a history of that. But I also think we have a lot more career changing happening nowadays. I've known a lot of people that have wanted to do like, Hey, can I do an internship in their, their second or third careers? And they're looking for those opportunities. And a lot of times internships are viewed at like, hey, that's something like a 19, 20-year-old, 21-year-old might be going through. And, right. and it sort of feels awkward in that sense. But I think, <laughs> but I think, you know, creating more 
opportunities to, to let people change. I mean, I think people have a lot of skills to bring to the table oftentimes and how, but how do you make that transition easier for them? So I'm thinking about even like career changers uh, too. And especially as, as we know, like there's constant disruption that's occurring in different markets and different places. So how do you help people not just skill up, but also that internship aspect, that applied learning aspect is such a valuable thing to actually get them to a level where they're, they're more valuable too. Right, for sure. Well, how, how do we tie this back to artificial intelligence, I guess? Well, I mean, I think that's that's one of the the questions, right? Like having more of those opportunities. Like, you know, I think this is, there's so much great online learning. And like, how do you bring more of that online learning into applied settings, whether it's benefiting uh, social causes, whether it's benefiting nonprofits, whether it's benefiting small or medium-sized business that aren't going to be able to afford that, those sorts of things. I think that there's opportunities out there, um, certainly like bigger companies, medium-sized companies, they'll, they'll have enough, you know, they, they hire interns, they do things like that. I think there might be an opportunity out there to say, okay, there's a lot of people learning a lot of cool things out there and they want to apply that to good, good causes. So maybe there's an opportunity for somebody to, uh, to do something there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think about competitions like Kaggle competitions, but there's also ones, you know, there've been local groups here in town, a group called Star 82 that did a lot mm -hmm. of work with uh, nonprofits, right? And I'm not sure if you, I, you probably attended those meetings and were a part of some, some of those things. Um, and I was a part of a, a, a team um, a couple times where the whole purpose of it was to get a bunch of data scientists together to work with a nonprofit that could honestly not afford to, to pay for a person like this on staff. So mm -hmm kind of a win-win-win, it feels like, with regards to the nonprofits win, you know, the people that are are attending, they end up learning something new. And at the end of the day, they can show possibly even a resume builder to get themselves more and more into this field. Yeah, exactly. And I think more like, you know, more at scale, exactly what Star 82 did, or there's some other groups that have done some of those types of things too, where I think, you know, how do you create it? So, because there's so many different organizations that could benefit from this. And part of it's like a lot of these organizations don't even know they could benefit from the, this type of thing. Uh, so I think there is an opportunity there. And I think the Nerdery had a, as part of their Nerdery Foundation, they were trying to do something in this realm and it was matching up sort of tech talent in general with nonprofits. And of course, the challenge, of course, is like matching up people, the right skills with the right need and and doing that. And it's it's harder when I think there's these terms like artificial intelligence or analytics, because oftentimes somebody's like, well, hey, I know how to do this and mm -hmm. it's not at all related and they don't have the domain expertise and it's just not, you know, so I think there's got to be something out there, an opportunity to help bridge that gap. But I think there's so many organizations that could, could benefit from this. And there's also a need to say, hey, you can go through some cable competitions, but I think that's right. such a defined problem that there isn't much, you know, certainly you gain skill from trying to optimize your model and do things like, you know, but, but I think it's a more technical application as opposed to what a real problem would be. Well, because a lot of it is just trying to define what data you need, getting that data. That can be a challenge, a project in of its own. <laughs> to be honest, when I'm getting to nonprofits, some of the ones that I've worked with, especially like the smaller ones, a lot of the biggest thing is just they oftentimes just don't even think, like know what questions to ask and thinking about. And a lot of it's just those discussions with them. And a lot of times they don't even have the data they, or they haven't been keeping the data. Well, yeah, we kept the last six months of this. And, but of course, you know, so yeah. they, they've been writing over the other stuff, like, or, you know, getting rid of it. And so I think a lot of that initial thing is just like talking through problems and talking about potential opportunities and understanding pain points. And it's sort of being that, that consultant with 
them first and then figure out what are those small wins and how do you keep uh, developing. Certainly when you're, you know, bigger organizations don't have this problem, but uh, I think, you know, as you said, is like, how do you bridge the gap of, of trying to apply learning versus also at the same time, you know, maybe helping some community need? Yeah. Well, do you think, just as I've been thinking about artificial intelligence in general, I mean, is there a world where we don't have teachers anymore, where a physical human teacher, right, where it can be automated, I guess? Well, it's interesting. So, like, one of the things I've been doing as, as I, like, a Duolingo, right? So, Duolingo is something I, with a language learning, mm-hmm. and there is no teacher there, right? It's 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 all app-based. It's listens to how you you pronounce. It gives input on, like, here's a mistake you made, things like that. It's all been done that way, right? Yeah. Now... Certainly my level, like I've been trying to take a little Chinese and a little Arabic, some things like other than Spanish that I'm better versed at. And certainly like some things I can see how like it does a really good job in, in some aspects. I think there's something to be said, just like, do we want a robot cooking our food and <laughs> doing this? I mean, I think all these types of things of, of are we as humans valuing um, what creativity and just like that, that there's somebody else that cares on the other side. Mm. And like, I do think a lot of the education, a lot of the realm in education, while maybe it's not getting rid of all people, maybe it's just scaled where it's like, Hey, and rings really good at teaching this mm-hmm. and we can now teach this to a million people yeah. and doing this right now. I'm, I'm actually just taking, uh, for the first time. So Seth Godin, who has yeah. Kimbo and things like that, I took I'm taking one of his workshops right now. Huh. And it's, uh, you know, the, uh, they, they scale at a fairly large size, right. but they have, uh, they have coaches that, that sort of like in each cohort. Mm, okay, so, sure. So the idea is still having people there and you know that you're doing it with other people you're going through. And so I do wonder how much it's like, okay, you and I are going through something together where we're each sort of almost coaching each other and helping each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that model I could see definitely working without a official instructor, mm-hmm. like there's like sort of team-based coaching, but I also think there's also the aspects of personalized learning. So the more that something knows where my weak spots are and where my strengths are, that it's going to be better at helping me out on those, those things that I, that when you hear from somebody else make that mistake, it's different when they hear me making that mistake because they have that total history there. And so I think there is something to be said about that, especially when you're talking about learning for kids, especially as like year after year, they're sort of passed off to other teachers and like, yeah. how, how can we, how can we make teachers better? So one of the ideas that I've, I've like, and I'm sure Google and others would be the people that are, that are best versed to do this, but is around just a general personalized assistant. Now we have mm-hmm. Google assistants and series and these things like that, but something that really knows me, like that is personal to me. That personal assistant knows my medical background, knows my interests, knows my everything. And it's basically like my virtual assistant. Yeah. And I think the same thing on a teaching side is like, who is your virtual teacher? Like having something like that, that works together in tandem with your normal people instructors. I'm a big believer in augmented intelligence as opposed to artificial. So how can we take normal teachers and really upskill them because they have this virtual assistant that also knows the student and some of the gaps and they can remind like, hey, well, remember little Jimmy, he has these problems and things like this. Maybe we need to do something here. I love it. No, that is that that is a great that is a great concept. Yeah, because you're right. At, At some point, it just becomes all about scale and and teachers are only good they have a maximum 
theoretical limit, right? Whether it's, you know, 32 students in the classroom or, or nine months out of the year, whatever, there's a limit yes. <laughs> where a, t a teacher can only have so much impact. So if they can do less of the mundane stuff, or at least be reminded of things that strengthens their superpower, quote unquote, mm -hmm. which would be like their humanness, then I think students would definitely benefit from all of that. Plus you have this, this longevity in your life of something that's, that's known in your development throughout. And so it's not just like a one year time where this teacher sees you for a year and then you're off in the next teacher, right? So the, these teachers see blocks of your life as an individual. They don't have a good perspective of what's that longer trajectory for that student. And I think it, it's just seeing how test scores were in first grade or fifth grade or other things are, are not, I think, broad enough representation of, of who that individual is and what their strengths and weaknesses may be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, this has been great. It's been a great conversation. Is there anything else you wanted to share around, I guess, AI and education? No, I think, I think the, the nice thing is there's so much great stuff out there. So I, I just tell people to, to try it out. And if you like something great, if you don't, like just, stop listening to it. There's so many Coursera courses that I've started and I thought it was going to be cool. And then I was like, eh, I really don't like this one. So at the same time, there's some that I was like, I, I took like on a whim and I was like, it's like, this is like really cool. Or, or, and you know, one of the things, uh, just even YouTube, like go on YouTube and there's just tons of great stuff. And you know, you don't want to go down too much of the, the trap. I think the other thing I would caution to people is, is you can learn without doing all your life but you also want to do too. So there's, you can always learn more, but, you know, try to think of how do you improve your community? Is there a nonprofit you can benefit? Is there an entrepreneurial idea you might have that you could apply this to? I think the more that you can sort of take this and apply it, uh, whatever that is, whether it's data visualization or whether it's a uh, neural net, you know, think of ways that you can actually apply it. That's going to you know do something to the world. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. You know, if, if you have an itch to scratch, chances are somebody else has that same itch. Yes. And, and in some ways, and yeah, I don't know, there's a there's a drive there if you're solving a problem that you run into rather than solving it because the Kaggle competition says so, right? Yes. You yes. can say, point to, a, geez, this is something that I wish I could love to apply artificial intelligence to. Mm -hmm. Let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I think of like all the things in agriculture and other spaces nowadays that there's tons of great advancements happening because people are like, I'm just going to take some pictures of plants or I'm going to go do this. Like, this is a problem. We know that artificial intelligence is able to do this pretty well and just like, you know, get out and do it. So, yeah. And I think just with regards to like right now, um, there's a lot of hacks going on around COVID-19, mm -hmm. right? So there's so many different data hacks. And there's a there's actually a website called DevPost. Uh, you, you're probably familiar with it, but we use that for our IoT hack day. But it's it, there's just hundreds and hundreds of projects out there that you can just join, yeah. right? They're, they're, they're looking for teams. There's actually some money to, to, to be made, not a lot, but there are prizes on these competitions. And, uh, and it's just a fun place to check out projects. And so I, I'll include links to that too as well in this, but those, that's just places you can just sort of scroll around and find a project you think that's interesting and raise your hand and say, you know, hey, uh, these are the skills I have. Can I join your team? Yes, great suggestion. Well, great, Dave. Thank you uh, again for all the great conversation and uh, good luck with all the education uh, <laughs> and all the, all the work you're doing. Thanks. Talk to you later. You've listened to another episode of the Conversations on Applied AI podcast. We hope you are eager to learn more about applying artificial intelligence and deep learning within your organization. You can visit us at appliedai.mn to keep up to date on our events and connect with our amazing community. 
Please don't hesitate to reach out to Justin at AppliedAI.mn if you are interested in participating in a future episode. Thank you for listening.